Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. My name is Ben Golker. I'm your host this week. Uh, after what U of M basketball did to Michigan State, Laz just bounced. He wanted no part of this this weekend. So I'm joined by a stand-in co-host. He's been with us before. You know him as Sham Shamik Mohile. Welcome to the podcast, Sham. How you doing? Thanks for graciously having me back, Ben. Um, I'm glad to replace Laz permanently on this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, changing things up. Um, changes seem to be the theme this week in Detroit basketball. We got to talk about it. Thousands of words and tweets all over the internet. Andre Drummond, no longer a Detroit Pistons after seven and a half seasons. His tenure is done. Traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers for basically cap filler and a future second round pick, mm-hmm. which last I heard was 2023. Very much in the uh, future. Yeah, very much in the future, not even an asset that can be used in the immediate rebuild. Uh, Shane, let's talk about it. Uh, what's your reaction to Andre Drummond being traded? Uh, it's like shocking, but not shocking because we have seen this kind of coming for the past like two years or so. We've heard so many rumors and fake reports and all that stuff been going on. So we've been almost prepped for this for a while now, but for it to actually happen is a little bit surreal, I think. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Obviously, Laz and I have been talking about this for a couple of seasons. I think I had started to be prepared for uh, the Pistons keeping Andre Drummond, having Andre Drummond opt in, and then maybe looking to have something happen over the summer. Uh, I, I was definitely not prepared for it to happen after the Phoenix talks sort of fell apart. Uh, everyone else in the NBA made all of their trades, including Atlanta, one of the other yep. rumored destinations. So kind of out of nowhere, this trade uh, to Cleveland happened. And Sean Corp, one of the, the chieftains over at DBB, asked this question. Would you do this trade? There was a poll attached to that. Last time I looked, it was roughly 50-50, maybe slanted a little bit in favor of people yeah. saying, yes, they would do this trade. Hmm. Uh, let's evaluate it, Sham. Would you do this one uh, if you were the one making the calls? It's it's a really hard call. Um, I know like Andre Drummond is supremely talented, um, but I think at the end of the day, I would have done that same trade. I I think I would have probably pushed for a better second, but at at at, at that point, I think the Pistons were really afraid that he was going to opt in and then ruin the flexibility for this summer, or he was going to opt out and they were losing for nothing. So I think it was kind of like a rock in a hard place kind of situation. So they kind of just took what they could get. Um, so I think I would do it again. Okay, let me tell you what makes me nervous about this. Um, I mean, I get that rationale. It was it was definitely a rock and a hard place. There were two bad scenarios that could happen. The first one is opting in and sort of the cap space, potentially luxury tax hell on a bad team, right? Or he leaves and you've got nothing in return for him. This way, at least you've got some sort of future asset, even though it is several years down the line. But right. here's what made me nervous about it. Um, Vince Ellis is the most recent beat guy I've heard talk about this, but several of them have. Um, before, Shortly before this trade happened, there was some buzz that the Pistons, even though they're committed to sort of rebuilding a little bit, are trying to be competitive next season. So I'm a little bit scared that arming themselves with $35 million in cap space has the potential to run sort of counterproductively to a long-term rebuild. I'm a little bit nervous. They might short circuit um, whatever commitments they've had internally to developing some of these young guys. 
and put themselves in a scenario where, you know, they bring on three more Tony Snells or something like that. Guys who don't necessarily fit the long-term right. plans, but are sort of stop gaps. Um, you know, the second thing that I'm a little bit nervous about is if you're trying to be competitive next season, this trade maybe sort of signals that, right? So um, I have to think that a second round pick for Andre Drummond was going to be on the table a season from now. And uh, it's hard to imagine that it wouldn't have been looking at the summer of 2021, right? So if Dre opts in and the Pistons are looking to make a trade a year from now, I think there's a lot more buzz and interest about what's going to happen across the league in 2021 than 2020. So part of me is nervous. They made this trade now to sort of accelerate their process uh, and maybe sort of jump into adding new pieces right away, as opposed to being a little more patient, opposed to riding it out look, there's no buzz that this is happening. It's, it's just something that sort of concerns me. So right. um, I understand the rationale, but like, oh, I'm just nervous about what this front office might do with 35 or $36 million this summer. And yeah, and, and that's the that's the key question. Like, yeah, like the, the, the trade can be good or bad depending on what they do with that space. And I think the the only issue I have with one of your points was that the second round pick may be on the table. That That may be the case. But the second round pick was on the table now. So the 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 deal was there. And the fact that that player option was the, the date that that would have gone into effect is after the draft. That would have essentially taken them out, taken them out of any draft day deals, any help. They, they couldn't facilitate any three team deals. They couldn't have any space for any flexibility for anything during the draft. So I think making the move was the right decision just to, just to have the options available in the summer. Now, if they go and they spend on Fred Van Vliet, or if they go and spend on, like you said, like three more Tony Snell contracts, that would be a mistake. They need to use this cap space and acquire bad contracts in trades, be a dumping ground, acquire assets, re- restock the shelves of draft picks, and tank properly, like the Nets did. Yeah, the Nets are a good example, I think. Yeah. And... uh Look, Andre Drummond no longer a Piston. Maybe the last time we talk about him on the podcast. I actually have a piece coming out. I think it's going to get published Monday or Tuesday. First time I've written for the blog in quite a while. And um, I'm anxious to hear the reaction to that post. I know a lot of people have kind of already said what they have to say about Andre Drummond and they're ready to move on. But, um, you know, for me, I was a fan of Andre. I think he was an incomplete and flawed player. And the, the thing I want to argue in this piece and, and hit me up and talk to me about it once you've seen it of course. Um, is that Andre Drummond, in spite of his limitations, really wasn't a failure in Detroit. The franchise really failed to capitalize on the talent um, that they had in Andre Drummond. I think one of the most talented and physically gifted athletes the Pistons have ever drafted. Um, so, so I'm curious to see what the reaction is to that. My, my, again, my thesis, the Pistons failed Dre, not the other way around. Um, and I think as we approach a rebuild, if the Pistons really do this, they've got some interesting young assets right now, and they've got to learn those lessons. Don't fail this young core of players, again, the same way you did Andre Drummond. Right. Uh, learn how to build around the assets you have and build a winning team instead of making a lot of mistakes that they did under the Van Gundy era and so on. So Andre Drummond no longer a Piston. That chapter is closed. It leads us to the rebuild, which we've started to talk about a little bit already. You threw out the nets as an mm-hmm. example. Uh, Sham, what's your preferred path? So what what do you think this rebound, uh, this excuse me, this rebuild could look like over the next couple, three seasons? What should they be doing uh, as this plays out? I, th- I think the first thing they need to do is 
start to ship out like this summer, maybe the next year as well, start to ship out those like vets that can be moved that teams would want to add on to their roster for competitive advantage. Rose is a good example. Like next year, he'll be on an expiring, I think $7 million deal. That would be an awesome trade piece for next year. Cause he's a good bench po- uh, point guard could be valuable to a contender. So start shipping out these vets that are going to be expirings for something, some asset, something in return. Um, that's the first thing I would do. The second thing I would do is identify who is going to be the guy in the next era. Is it going to be Seku? Is it going to be somebody not on the roster currently? Is it going to be Christian Wood? Identify that person in the next, like throughout the rest of this season and next, and start to build around that person. So I think the one thing that the Pistons failed to do with Andre Drummond is that they failed to surround him. I mean, that's kind of fair and unfair because a lot of injuries took place um, in the past three, four seasons that kind of limited all that. But they they had failed to kind of put players around him that fit his style. Um, so I think identify the next guy and start to do that with the next roster construction uh, with this team. And also just draft well. Draft and develop well. It's so it's it's very simple. Like all of the, the, the contenders at the top right now have for the most part, homegrown players. Um, so really just draft and develop well, and then winning will follow and free agents will come. And it's a, it's a, it's pretty much an easy road after that. Like once you have good young prospects, um, life gets a lot better. Yeah. I think the thing that I really, really, really hope the Pistons do, um, which I think they sort of squandered under Van Gundy and we're sort of living out the consequences of that right now is, maintain flexibility. Um, so Stefanski's, I, I know a lot of people have been super critical of him and I, I understand why, but I think one good thing he's done so far is not sign any of those like question mark, head scratching contracts. John that Luer. Really, yeah. John Lure, Langston Galloway to some degree. Bobon. I mean, Van Gundy did several of those things. Boban, Yo- Jody Meeks, like all these guys where, you know, they weren't necessarily wild overpays, but they were overpays and then they were signed for too many years. Um, you yeah. know, if they've got $35 million going into this summer, okay, Christian Wood's probably going to eat up some of that. We'll see how much it is. Yep. Uh, you know, don't go jump on that free agent who, you know, looks appealing at $20 million for four seasons because he, you know, he didn't get picked up somewhere else. Don't do that. <laughs> like yeah. uh, fill out the roster with as cheaply as you can so as you mentioned, I think the real opportunity for the Pistons with this trade is to become the dumping ground for bad contracts and draft picks, right? So um, I, I do think, as I mentioned earlier, the summer of 2021 is really where teams are looking. So that means next season there could be opportunities to you know, take a few young guys or potentially take bad contracts that are attached to draft picks um, and get you moving in the right direction. Yeah. It, it's just a longer term rebuild than a short term rebuild. So, so don't sacrifice the long term prospects here. If, if Seiko is your guy, as you mentioned, he's only 19, right? So yeah. you're years away from being there. Don't lock yourself into, um, you know, don't lock yourself into a whole bunch of contracts. You, you can't get yourself out of three years down the line or something like that. And I, I, I think one more thing they should try and, and identify are those diamond in the rough players. Like, for example, Markel Fultz would have been an awesome gamble to take now. I think it wasn't didn't really make sense last year because they were trying to be competitive and stuff, and you didn't know if he was going to really pan out or, or be good. But a player like Markel Fultz that is a is a high-risk, high-reward player, they need to identify those players because 
the risk is that you lose games. And that's what you probably would have been doing anyways. So just start to acquire these off the beaten path players and just see what they can do. I mean, because you have the space, why not? Yeah, I'm I'm a big believer in if you sort of trace the hinge, the histories of all of the the NBA champions over the last 10, 15, 20 years, all of them have had some massive stroke of luck along the way. Um, but I think what all, all of those teams did was they prepared themselves to be ready for when that luck presented itself, right? That's so agreed. I think that's really what the Pistons have to keep in mind. You don't have to solve this problem tomorrow. You don't have to go try to win 41 games next season. Right. You can bide your time and, and realize that in order to win an NBA championship, you're going to have to get lucky. Um, but you need to give yourself sort of the environment to allow that to come to fruition. And development is key for all that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, you hinted at the Pistons need to identify who's the guy or who are the guys. Sham, you look at the roster right now, there's a handful of young players. Uh, which of those guys do you consider to be building blocks that the Pistons should should try to hold on to? You know, maybe they're not the guy, but maybe they're part of a core of guys that could be uh, part of the the rebuild team, whatever that is, four years sure. from now. Who are those guys that you like and want to hold on to? I think right now, off the top of my head, it's going to be Seku, uh, Christian Wood, especially from what we've seen the past two games, like without anybody really blocking his path towards a minutes. He's really kind of taken a, a step forward. But um, Seku, Christian Wood, I think Bruce, Bruce Brown, although he doesn't put up the numbers or does a lot of the flashy things, he's a good player just to – to have on the roster, I think he fills like a really niche role that developing teams and just teams in general need like that, that just dog defender and uh, the the guy who just will always put the extra, you know, go the extra mile, use just the hustle guy. Um, I, I think that's really important to have on a rebuilding team. Uh, Luke Kennard, I was almost certain that he was going to be in that group as well, but his, his knees kind of bothered me. And the fact that he's going to be due for a contract at the end of next year worries me a bit. So I'm I'm on the fence with Luke, but everybody else that I've mentioned is absolutely part of the equation going forward. Yeah, I'm with you. I would throw Svi into the mix. Yes, I, I forgot about I, him. I see, yeah, I mean, I see him as probably like a long-term bench guy, but a good bench guy. Um, the thing that has stood out to me this season about Svi is – there's this athleticism and ball handling there that I didn't recognize um, yep. prior to this season. So I, I like him, and I think he could potentially be very cost-controlled, mm -hmm. um, which I think is obviously going to be important. Yeah, Christian Wood, obviously the name that jumps up to the top. There's been a lot of reporting since the trade happened that the Pistons really want to aggressively go after Christian Wood this summer. 24 years old. Um you know, he gives you some of what you lose with Andre Drummond in terms of the rebounding presence. I don't think he's quite there defensively, which, you know, I know there's a lot of people who think Andre Drummond was never quite there defensively either. So uh, that's obviously a question mark. But what he gives you offensively is a ton of versatility and explosiveness that the Pistons haven't seen at that 4-5 position. You know, even with Blake Griffin a season ago, uh, obviously a much more complete offensive player, you didn't have this shock and awe sort of raw athleticism that you get with Christian Wood. Um, so I'm excited about him. He's a guy I, I kind of said a couple weeks ago, Laz and I were drawing about this same question. Christian Wood to me is like the, the top guy in that list of young guys. I definitely want to keep him. I share your concerns about Luke Kennard. Um, I am a big Luke Kennard fan. I love what he does offensively. 
but yeah, knees at 23, 24 years old, that's scary. Um, and you know, I was reluctant for them to trade him for, for a lottery pick at this trade deadline. But I mean, if, if he's only going to be playing 50, 60 games a season, you're right. He's going to command a payday from somebody. Um, yeah, I, I'm nervous to see what happens with Luke Kennard. I think Pistons do have uh, the advantage in that they can sort of control his restricted free agency to yeah. some degree if they choose not to trade him before that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I largely agree with you. I'm, I'm super interested in Seku. He has been feast or famine. He struggled this week. Yeah, uh, He wasn't in the game late, uh, particularly I'm thinking of the Knicks game last night. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I like that approach. I think those are probably the right guys. I don't think necessarily, though, that any of those guys is the guy, right? right. Maybe Seku can be, but he's just way too young for us to know at this point at, at 19 years old. So but that's why you have to give him so many minutes and opportunities to, to prove that he is the guy, you know. That's why, you know, lately he hasn't been stellar, I would say. He hasn't been impressive in, in a lot of ways, and that, that worries me in a way because now he's finally getting the opportunity that he should – that he should succeed in but just doesn't seem to be memorable and so uh the rest of this year the summer league and then next year i'd like to see if he actually steps up because i would assume that we're not getting that guy in this draft based on everything that i'm hearing about this 2020 draft so at least he'll have one more year until we draft that that guy yeah and let me throw this at you i i have been puzzled let's say puzzled by Dwayne Casey's player development approaches um, we've seen Luke Kennard kind of bounce in and out of the starting lineup yeah uh, we saw Christian Wood early in the season barely find a way to get off the bench um, now we've seen Seku go from starter to just a handful of minutes here and there it seems like what's your take on Dwayne Casey as a player development coach? And I'm thinking really specifically in relation to Seku because, you know, he's the guy kind of on the forefront of everybody's minds right now. I think the issue right now is has Dwayne Casey been put in a position to actually develop players as opposed to prioritizing winning? I think this is the first time since being in Detroit that he's actually been tasked with playing the young guys and developing them exclusively without any regard to really winning or playing, you know, winning basketball, just seeing what these young guys can do. I think this is the first time that we're seeing that um, in his two, three-year tenure with the with the team. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair point. And I, I was looking at the standings today, and I kind of got scared for a second. Um, the Pistons are only three games out of the, the playoffs in the win column. Uh, the Orlando Magic currently are sitting in the eighth seed. Washington and Chicago are between the Pistons and the Magic. Um, yeah, obviously they've lost two games this week. It's hard to see them going on an incredible winning streak or anything. Right. Um, are we sure that the Pistons are totally committed to the player development and not chasing the eight seed right now? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm asking myself, maybe they haven't totally committed to this thing yet. What do you think? Now, if they can snag the eight seed with Christian Wood, Thonmaker, Seku, Jordan Bone, to be playing mad minutes by all means make the playoffs like <laughs> at that point like just go for it now if you're gonna play like lots of derrick rose minutes some a lot of tony snell minutes seriously throttle back jordan bones minutes and seku's minutes and play christian wood less although i don't even know why you would if you are even if you are trying to shoot for the playoffs um then it's a problem then i have a problem with that but 
if you if you stumble and bumble into the playoffs and get wiped by the Bucks in four with that squad, all all good with me. Yeah, I think the thing that made me wonder um, was that Knicks game last night. Yeah. Admittedly, they're dealing with injuries, right? So Svi is out. Um, Kennard is obviously out. So, you know, that, that closing lineup of Wood, Thon, Snell, whoever else they had out there in the backcourt, I was like, why Why is Seku not out there? Like, if if you really don't care about winning right now, then why are you playing Tony Snell? I, I, I just am puzzled by that. Is it but, part of the whole, like, uh, you know, being in the doghouse, kind of just if you're not trying hard? Because I know Casey kind of railed about that the past week or so, that he's going to play the guys that play hard. So it could be a potential, like, quote unquote learning experience, like welcome to the NBA moment for Seku. Cause I think this is the first time that he's actually like been put in the doghouse by a coach in the NBA. So, yeah. And that's, yeah. that's what Laz has raised a couple of times over the last couple of weeks is Casey's approach seems to be, you got to earn it. Right. So this was kind of his approach with Derek Wood and maybe this is his approach with Seku and maybe there's some real value there. Um, I get it. We obviously don't see what's happening in practice. You know, when I watch Seku play, he he fades into the background really easily. Right. Um, I'm not sure if that's because he's not trying hard or if the game's moving too fast or, or what. Um, but it does seem that Casey has definitely put some standards. Like he's not just going to go play Seku a quota of minutes on any given right now. Like Seku's going to have to play well and earn those. So, you know, that's his philosophy. I think agree with it or not. So last week in Piston basketball, obviously we talked about the trade. We talked about the rebuild, Let's talk about the two games that we have seen played without Andre Drummond. Um, I think one of the things that Pistons fans took for granted during the Drummond era was just how durable Andre Drummond was, especially for a big seven-footer. Compare him with his peers. Dude hardly missed any time over his career. So we've had very few opportunities to see what would the Pistons look like without Andre Drummond. We've seen two games of it. Obviously, as we talked about, a little bit of a depleted roster. Um, Two losses, as we also talked about. What stood out to you uh, this week over those two games without Drummond? I'm really surprised to see. Well, I guess I'm not surprised to see that the rebounding has really been an issue. Um, Andre Drummond has saved the Pistons offensively on so many possessions with his offensive rebounds, putbacks, second chances. Um, On defense, he's limited possessions for opponents. And we're kind of – we've kind of seen the numbers – like the Pistons have been a bad rebounding team in even with Drummond on the court, not to any fault of his own, but it's a team rebounding problem. But now that he's not on the court, not on the team anymore, it's really gotten exposed in the past two games. So that's, that's one thing that's really stood out to me. Um, I don't know if you've, you've noticed the same thing, but it's, it seems to be a, a, a problem, like, especially in like against the Knicks in the second half, like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I'll be honest with you. I didn't watch the OKC game because I was at that point so frustrated with the Andre Drummond trade. I was just, not that he was traded, but I was, <laughs> oh, I was just like, man, this, yeah, I needed a day off. So I took a day off. Um, but I watched the Knicks game really intently. The rebounding, oh my goodness, the second half and the fourth quarter in particular, um, 47 to 28 Pistons got out rebounded against the Knicks, which is mind bogglingly bad. Um, they gave out gave up 16 offensive rebounds, only grabbed three themselves. And I think in the fourth quarter, now I'm not going to complain that they lost totally fine with it, (laughs) but in the fourth quarter, 
it was offensive rebounding that sealed the game for the Knicks. Uh, Pistons played solid defense, gave up offensive rebounds. The Knicks sealed the game. Um, Dwayne Casey's comment after the game was that the Pistons need to be a bunch of piranhas on the glass. Mm -hmm. Interesting interesting analogy, um, but I think he's right that in order for them to be successful this season on the glass, it's going to have to be a team rebounding effort. Um, But I think what it does call out is that there's a serious roster deficiency here right now. Thon Maker had some fantastic defensive plays against the Knicks, a couple electrifying block shots, but he's, he's just a terrible rebounder. And I know he's thin and slender, but he should be better. Uh, His timing is so good defensively that he should be a better rebounder. Christian Wood is a good rebounder. I don't know if he's great, but he's good. Um, Blake Griffin, you know, if he's back next season and healthy, he doesn't do anything on the offensive glass, which is sort of accordant with his role, right? Guys who handle the ball a lot don't get a lot of offensive rebounds. He's sort of like average defensively. Uh, in terms of rebounding. So the Pistons do have a real (laughs) roster problem to address because you're not going to, this team is not going to win any games. Um, They're not nearly talented enough to, to lose the rebounding battle by 19 and still win. So yeah, rebounding, definitely a a hole, giant hole that Andre Drummond leaves behind. Yeah. And, and and Andre Drummond was really good at like, although he kind of played at the three point line, setting screens and rolling to the rim, he was really good at, at getting, under the rim and getting those boards and Christian Wood kind of plays outside more steps out for three pick and pop kind of guy. Um, but he's, he's not, doesn't have the same instinct or talent that Andre Drummond had to get back to the rim and retrieve balls. So that's something that they'll have to work out as a team. Just it's a different team dynamic. Now you don't have the leagues and potentially history's best rebounder in the middle. So there's gonna be a lot of adjustment period. I'd imagine to kind of mitigate that issue. Um, but Christian Wood, with all that said, has been awesome. Like, it, it, he's been everything that you wanted in a, a replacement young center. Like, if you are pro tank and you're like, yo, play the young guys, let's see what they got, Christian Wood, you should be a fan of. He's everything that you could ask for. Like, what, 27 in the OKC game, played very well in the in the Knicks game. Um, but, yeah, there are some limitations, especially on defense, rebounding, but... I think offensively, that mentality of I'm going to dunk on you. I'm going to mm-hmm. shoot three in your face. Mm-hmm. I It's it's fun to see that, in, like despite the losses. It's fun to see a player like that. You know, It makes the tank easier to swallow, I suppose. Yeah, I think that's the thing that stood out to me on offense was without a, a big seven-footer sort of clogging up the middle, the offense has been pretty dynamic. Reggie Jackson has been really good with the basketball. Mm-hmm. Um Christian Wood, as you mentioned, dynamic, exciting. His tenacity, you're absolutely right. Like his mentality, I'm going to go dunk on you. That's not really something Andre Dummond ever really had. Um, and I, I think wish Christian he did. Wood, yeah, exactly. Christian Wood gets up better too. I mean, he's he's just a f- phenomenal leaper. So he's, mm-hmm. he's able to get up and throw it down. Um, so yeah, I think the, the, the versatility of Christian Wood offensively gives you a totally different trajectory on offense. And I think it's something a lot of fans have wanted for a very long time. Let's create space. Let's shoot threes. uh, Let's get to the rim, that kind of a thing. Um, I wanted to call out Reggie Jackson here because he's, he's been really good. Mm -hmm. Um, I've really liked what he's done. Um, Obviously he's on an expiring contract. His injury history might give people pause uh, in terms of signing. him. He's probably going to be looking for one more big contract. I would think, 
what do you think? Should the Pistons have any interest in bringing him back as sort of a, a quality NBA point guard slash mentor to sort of steer and guide the rebuild at all? Or should the Pistons just move on from Reggie Jackson? I, I have been thinking about this for a while because I, I do actually like Reggie Jackson a lot. I think he's a good point guard, not great. Good. He makes bad plays. He doesn't really play defense. Although a lot of point guards in our league nowadays don't really do that anyways. Um, but he's a he he's a smart point guard. He he knows where to be. He knows how to find his teammates. He's a good shooter. I don't know why you wouldn't want him back aside from the price. And that kind of is my sticking point. Is it at, at what what price point is he unreasonable? And in my opinion, that's over ten million. If you're paying him over ten million, it's unreasonable, and you should let him walk. Because um, I think the plan is that you still draft and develop, or find a young point guard and develop him to be the point guard of the future. And if Reggie Jackson is going to be like a $15 million guy on our roster and take up mad minutes to block that, that, that draftees or development point guards path to minutes, then I have an issue with that. Cause I don't think Jordan bone is the answer at point guard. Um, but I also don't think it's a bad idea to have like a bridge point guard to help the development process along, uh, especially like I said, if you're looking to move Rose next season, yeah, I think it was Sean Corp who pointed this out uh, within the last couple of weeks. Rebuilding teams need good point guards. Um, yep. Initially, I didn't totally agree with him, but the, the thing I sort of disagree with is that it doesn't necessarily need to be your point guard. Like, I think rebuilding teams need a couple experienced playmakers to help orient the offense and teach guys how to play. Mm-hmm. That could be a point guard. It could be somewhere else. I don't think Derek Rose is that guy. I mean, obviously, the way Derek plays – you not many guys can replicate it, right? Like you have to be particularly good at getting to the basket. You have to be a particularly good mid-range shooter. Right. Not a lot of, not a lot of guys are going to be that. Um, Reggie Jackson is a little bit more of a traditional point guard, so I could see some value in bringing him back, but you're right. Cost is the key factor. The thing is the Pistons definitely don't have that right now, right? There's nobody on the roster other than Bruce Brown, who's sort of like an interesting combo point guard, I guess. But yeah, they, they need, they're going to need somebody to handle the ball. Uh, and initiate the offense. So there's a, there's a roster gap there. Uh, so yeah, um, I think the things I'm going to be looking for on the court moving forward uh, for the rest of the season, I'm really curious about Christian Wood polishing some of the rough spots. Um, I think the, the play that stands out to me late in the game against the Knicks, he and Tony Snell had this really interesting two-man game going where Wood made the right read, he made the right pass, and it resulted in a bucket. Um, Christian Wood gets a lot of his buckets just because he's a crazy athlete. Yep. If he can start to add those finer points to his game offensively, I think I can feel a lot better about him being the the big man of the future, <laughs> whatever position he ends up playing. Yeah, and, and I think he just needs that opportunity. He's just he's been behind Dre, been even behind Thon for a lot of the season. Um, so I, I I think now that he has the opportunity to, to succeed, um, it's really uh on him to to make that happen yeah so before we preview next week anything we haven't talked about sham that you want to make sure the people hear about from you um let's talk about thon for a second yeah because he's been good like like almost like somebody has like taken his body and replaced it with somebody who's competent (laughs) um like it, it he's been you know it seems to have like a higher iq knows where to be um, he looks quicker. He's shooting better. He's blocking shots. Like, who is this guy? He right. he very well might play himself into a draft day trade, if if we're lucky. 
Yeah, it, you're absolutely right. Um, I'm curious if this is sort of fluky, like if it's just the energy of having the starting position opened up for you in the wake of a trade, right. or if, like if this is something that he's really keyed into. But I think it's a good observation. We also didn't talk about the new guys at all, Brandon Knight and John Henson. John Henson was a beast against the Knicks, made yep. all of his shots, I think. Um, not going to do that every night, obviously, moving forward. But he could um, be solid. Yeah, he could be solid. He could be he could be cheap next year too. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Pistons are going to need depth. Brandon Knight, I honestly hope I never have to watch him play another minute of Pistons <laughs> basketball. <laughs> oh, he's one oh, of my man. all-time least favorite Pistons. So just remnants I'm, of 2013. Oh man, I'm totally fine with him just riding the Piner. I'm totally fine with. I, th- I was hoping they would waive him. Maybe there was something in the CBA that made them keep him as opposed to. Tim Fraser, or maybe it was the contract, right? I think Brandon Knight's actually on a pretty giant contract. So I was surprised to see how young he is. Yeah. He's 28. I feel like he's been in the league for like 15 years. It feels like forever, and it feels like he is still the exact same player he was as a Exactly. <laughs> it's not changed or improved at all. Um, yeah, so this week in Pistons basketball, we have three games before we're going to be back at you on the podcast, but Sunday night, in Portland a week from now starts a four-game road trip. So Monday, they've got Charlotte at home. Wednesday, they're going to Orlando. As I mentioned, Orlando's currently got the eighth seed. Uh, Thursday, Bucks at home. And again, Sunday, that four-game road trip starts in Portland uh, late for us over here on the East Coast. Sham, are you a prognosticator? What are the, what are the Pistons going to do in terms of wins and losses? Anything about any of these games that jumps out at you is important? Uh, well, I mean... <clears throat> the, the Charlotte and the Orlando games, I hope they lose. Uh, they're both, I think, like you put in the notes here, tankathon importance. <laughs> yep. good, that's a good note. Um, Bucks, uh, I, I, I honestly just wanted them to be competitive. Like, if they, if they try hard, like I'm really excited to see Christian Wood in that uh, stepped up role against Giannis and it, with the home crowd. You know, it's going to be packed because it's the Bucks. Um, so I'm just excited to see that. And then, like you said, Portland started a four-game road trip. Probably going to be some more L's coming our way. But, um, yeah, it's just going to be an interesting week now that it, uh, I feel like we're moving in a different era. And it's yeah. going to be strange to, to see the team going forward, and it's going to be even stranger to see Andre Drummond in a Cavaliers uniform. But, um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Yeah, I think that hits it. Charlotte and Orlando – key losses. I think the thing that Laz and I keep harping on that's important to me is make these competitive losses. Like I'm fine with losing to the Knicks. I'm fine with losing to anybody, but play hard. And then I really hope there's opportunities for these young guys to learn in close competitive games. I just don't want to see a whole bunch of blowouts. I think this four game road trip could be that like that could get dangerous. It could get ugly. Uh, And I think the way Laz has talked about it is, is keeping the, the habit of losing out of the organization, right? So they're going to lose games and we all know that, but the importance of being competitive and playing hard every night, I think is what's most important to me. To me, it's very possible that they lose all four of these games. That seems completely realistic to me, Uh, but hopefully we've got some competitive basketball and some interesting things, you know, to be watching. We're not seeing the same old thing we've seen the last seven years. So that in and of itself is a little bit exciting for good or bad. I mean, it's different then. And that's what people wanted. Yep. Yep. You're absolutely right. Uh, Sham, tell the people where they can find you, Twitter, social media, writing, 
podcasting? What do you do? Where can they come at and talk to you? <laughs> so you can follow me on Twitter at Sham Sham God. I'm sure a lot of your listeners already do, but if you don't, go ahead and hit that follow button. Um, you can follow my writing at Detroit Bad Boys. I haven't had anything in a little while, but there also has been a lot of uh, hasn't been a lot to write about until now. So you may see that that change going forward. Um, and you can listen to my podcast, Two Gods and a Goose. Uh, it's a comedy, satire, sports, whatever podcast. So if you're looking for some comedic relief in your day, give that a listen. And I also am giving away Pistons Bucks tickets for next week, next Thursday. Um, so your the way you can win is by one following me, following Detroit Bad Boys, following at Grant Froling. He's a he's the ticket guy, um, and also uh, quote tweeting the tweet or tweeting at me with hashtag Sham Ticks. Um, your favorite Andre Drummond memory of the past seven years, eight years that he's been on. Oh, the that game. could be interesting. Yeah, good or bad, but. <laughs> hashtag sham ticks i'm giving everybody on this podcast a day a day advantage um because tomorrow i'll be posting on twitter for all those folks to to enter so that is the way you can win bucks tickets two tickets um i gave away tickets last week and they are way better seats than i expected so <laughs> so definitely enter and you'll have a good time that's fun the lca is a great arena if you it's haven't fun. been yeah it's a great place to go watch a basketball game um, really cool what they did sort of on the main floor in terms of like the restaurants and pregame entertainment. Mm-hmm. I really like it. And obviously chance to go watch Giannis in person, which I have not done. It's a treat. Um, yeah. There's just something different about watching it in real time in person. Isn't there just to see, see him in person. Like, it, like he looks big on, on TV and on the court, but to see in person is just a different feeling. That's how I felt about Boban too. Like that dude, when you see him in person, <laughs> He's a giant. He's a giant. <laughs> it's fun to see. Yeah. Yeah. One of the first NBA games I ever went to, this is going to take me back. Um, it was the first non Pistons game I ever went to. I saw George Murison play when he was with the Bullets, oh, and he was 7 7. He could stand flat footed and grab the rim. And that, to me, I was, I got to see that court side, and I was like, I don't know, 12 or 13. Oh, my gosh. That just, that just blew me away. Uh, anyway, yeah. Old times out the window now, uh, closing the podcast. We've been talking forever. Uh, I'm Ben Galker at BR Galker on Twitter. As I mentioned, I'm going to have something on the on the blog. I wrote something. Um, give me some feedback, what you think. Leave it in the comments. Hit me up on Twitter. Thanks, Sham, for coming on. It's always a blast to have you. We'll have to have you back on before the season ends. Sure to be some interesting stuff to talk about. Yes, we can uh, be great together. Yeah, uh, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, I'm Ben Galker. We'll talk to you next week.